only two roads. One of those roads leads to defiance, saying, I'm going to do my way. I'm going to hold on to all the things. I want to hold on. Yes, we might give Jesus part of our life, but we want to hold on to certain portions of our life. And the truth of the matter is, if the Lord isn't Lord of all of our life, He's not Lord of any of our lives. And so we struggle with that intersection. One road leads to defiance. I'm going to hold on to my life. And the other, the other leads to absolute surrender. The question this morning is, which road are you going to take in your life? Which road are you going to walk on in your life? Defiance or surrender? The title of the message this morning is The Terms of the Choice. The Terms of the Choice. Last Sunday I talked about of the choice of being a disciple of Jesus. The morning what I want to do, I want to talk about the, the, uh, the terms of, uh, of the choice. And the terms of the choice are none other than absolute surrender. Now I want you to turn with me back to the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. We're going to be in the book of Mark almost all year uh, talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Spending this first month just understanding the choice that we have to make uh, to be a disciple of Jesus or not. Remember last week I said there was a massive difference between being a Christian. Truth of the matter is being a Christian means hardly anything in our society today. You ask anybody, uh, you know, what religion are you? And most people in our country will say, oh, I'm a Christian. You ask them what difference is being a Christian making in your life, they'll scratch your head and they'll say, well, not really anything. I read my Bible every now and then, I pray go to church sometimes, but it's not going to change anything in my life. Most of you realize in the New Testament the word Christian is only used three times, and Jesus never asks us to make Christians. He says, you go make disciples. And the word disciple is used over 270 times in Scripture. So this year, what we want to be about is understanding, learning what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. And I want you to understand, it starts with absolute surrender. The choice made at that intersection. Now I want us to read together in Mark chapter 1, I think one of the most mind-blowing stories uh, in the Gospels. Uh, one of the craziest things uh, that Jesus ever did is found in Mark chapter 1. And we'll read it and you'll say, well, what's so weird about that? Well, as we get into the story, understand the dynamics of what Jesus did in this section of Scripture. I think you'll understand and have to admit, this is quite odd for the Creator of the universe. By the way, Jesus was there in the beginning. Before the beginning, he was there. He was there as the world was created, as man was created. God said, let us make man in our image. That was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was there. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that it was through the word of his power that everything that we see was made and actually holds together. Now, with all of that in mind, to read this story is quite bizarre. Let's read chapter 1 of Mark and verse 9 through 11. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Let that sink in. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized baptized by John in the Jordan. Now as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit 
descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This morning what I want to do is to just simply talk about the Lord's surrender. And I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about your surrender. And I want to offer you a choice this morning. Surrender or stay to we're going this morning. First of all, let's look at the Lord's surrender. Now, last week you were with us, we left John the Baptist baptizing at the Jordan River. In verse 4 and 5, it says, So John came baptizing in the desert region and preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Last Sunday, I shared with you, if you were here, that John's message was a clear message of bold repentance. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 3, verse 8 and following, John says, before you can ever even begin to follow Jesus, you have to produce fruit of repentance. What does that mean? He goes on to uh, describe. He said, I have uh, to do a sacrificial giving. You have two coats, give up one of them to somebody that doesn't have any coat. He said there ought to be honesty. If you're a tax collector or a businessman, don't take more than you ought to take in business deals. And he said if you're a soldier or someone in authority, show, uh, show integrity by not by treating people exactly the way they ought to be treated. Now you would think that that call to life-changing repentance would push people away, but it didn't. The Bible says that people flocked to John. The crowds flocked to him, and they were convicted by their sin, they repented of their sin, and as a sign of the humble surrender of their hearts, they were baptized in the river. What an odd thing to do, baptized in the river, forgiveness of sins. Now I want to define the term here because we've kind of skewed what that means in our religious world today. Uh, if I ask you today, what, what does baptism mean? Some people say dunked in the tank. Other people say no. Uh, it's uh, to be christened, a little, uh, uh, you know, some, uh, water thrown on your forehead as an infant. Uh, the issue is, what does the word mean, how they do it in the New Testament? Well, what I want you to understand is that in the New Testament, the word baptism or baptize simply means to dunk. It means to dip or to plunge in water. That's all it means, to dunk, to go under the water. It never means sprinkle. In fact, there is a word for sprinkle in the Bible. Uh, you'll, you'll say this makes total sense to you. It's only you. It's talking about sprinkling blood, and the word is reino. Isn't that interesting? Reino, sprinkling of water. Uh, but that's never used in baptism. The only word ever used in the New Testament of baptism is the Greek word baptizo, and it means to dunk or to plunge. Everybody in the New Testament was never baptized. Were, they were dunked in the water for the first 400 years of the church. Everybody that was ever baptized were dunked in the water. And it was only out of convenience said, no, 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 uh, you know, we don't have to be dunked in the water. We can just simply, uh, you know, have water poured on us, sprinkled on us, and God would accept that as well. But that's not the case in the beginning. And the Bible says that as John preaches this massive message of repentance, that all of Jerusalem and the countryside around Judea, they all came out and they were baptized in the Jordan River. As a matter of fact, in one place it says that John was in the Jordan River at a spot where there was lots of water. All right? And 
and uh, he was just dunking people uh, left and right there. Everybody came out, uh, convicted of their sins, everybody except for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember them, the religious leaders uh, of the Jewish uh, tradition? Man, they hated everything Jesus did. You remember that? And they didn't start hating uh, when Jesus came on the scene. They hated anybody that was different from them. And they despised John the Baptist. The Bible says in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7 that they came out to uh, watch him be baptized. They came out to watch or to see other people being baptized. Now, I used to why until I learned that according to rabbinic uh, tradition, the Jordan River was disqualified as a place uh, to be uh, receive purification uh, of anything. And so they came out grumbling to themselves about what John was doing. And remember what John says to them? He says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, you're a brood of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes. You don't even want to see people come to faith in God. Now, John's message, we said last week, was a gospel message. It pointed people to Jesus. And that's what we read in verse 7 and 8. It says, this was the message. After me will come one more powerful than I am, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, as the story goes, on, we read in verse 9, Jesus, as he always does, turns everyone around him totally upside down. Did you ever notice that in Jesus' ministry? Everybody's calm, satisfied, uh, you know, everything's going easy, and Jesus steps in, and man, all heaven breaks loose. You remember the guy whose roof was torn apart? Uh, so a guy could come in, man, uh, he, he went away, Jesus went away and left the guy standing there looking at a hole in his roof saying, who's going to fix this thing, you know? That was the way it was for everybody that was around Jesus. And he turned them upside down and he did exactly the same thing to John the Baptist. It says in verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. I like what one writes and says, hey, he as the soldier, remember what he said in verse 7 and 8? says, The bestower of the baptism of the Holy Spirit here humbled himself to receive the baptism of repentance. How odd. Let that skin. People were coming to be baptized to forgive them from their sins. What sin had Jesus ever committed? The Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted at all points, but he never sinned. So John preaching about repentance, and Jesus comes and says, I want to be baptized. In the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 14, there's kind of an argument between the two, and John objects to baptizing Jesus says, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to be baptized by me and listen to me. Jesus said, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. You know, most of the time we think of sin being things that we shouldn't do, you know, bad things that we should not do. Uh, you know, shouldn't cuss, shouldn't 
you know, kick dogs, shouldn't do bad things in our lives. We think about him doing something that we should not do. But in that statement, it is proper to do this, to fulfill righteousness, illustrates what James, half-brother, would later write in James chapter 4 and verse 17. James says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus says, I need to be baptized, not because I sin, but because it's the right thing to do. I, I, I'm going to call on you this morning to consider being baptized. The truth of the matter is, there's no baptism here that has never sinned. So you're all outside of that statement, all right? You can't take Jesus' line of, man, I, I, I've never sinned. You know, I don't need to be baptized. That's not even what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've never sinned, but yet I still need to be baptized. So do you. So in this very first act of ministry, Jesus does the most amazing thing. Jesus is standing at that fork in the road, that intersection, just like all of us, one road leading to defiance, saying, I'll do it my way, the other road leading to absolute surrender, and Jesus chooses the road to surrender. There's at least three things that Jesus surrenders in his baptism. Number one, he surrenders his ego. He surrenders his I want you to know, Jesus does not have a private uh, you know, uh, time to be together with John the Baptist. It's not a private uh, meeting that he has, but Jesus comes and he is baptized publicly. Publicly, he humbles himself. Surrender number two, Jesus surrenders his position. Do you know who Jesus really is? And songs of the church in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 through 6 it talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and where Jesus is now. Let me read just a section of that song. Philippians chapter 2 Paul says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus who though he was in the very nature of God he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. And he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death. Folks, I want you to understand that in the very first action of Jesus' public ministry, it was a, an act of surrender. And what he was saying was, I surrender my position to Lord, I've already surrendered my ego. Uh, you know, I'm doing this publicly, but I've surrendered my position, uh, the position of being at the right hand of God. He would be back there one day. But Jesus was totally human. And Jesus came and he surrendered himself. And he said, John, let's go to the baptistry. You dunk me because it's the right thing to do. One last thing that Jesus surrendered, and that is he surrenders his life. He surrenders his ego. He surrenders his position, but Jesus surrenders his life. Because it was in baptism, the very first thing Jesus did in his public ministry, that Jesus said, God, it's not my way. It's never going to be my way. It's your way. And I humbly submit my life to you. 
Folks, that's why we struggle so much with the terms of choice. Because we don't say, God, all of it, and I surrender it to you. That's an amazing thing in verse 10 and 11 that we see heaven responding and a voice coming from heaven, the very voice of God. It's fascinating to me that here we see the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all acting in one. We see Jesus coming up out of the water, verse 10. He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him. And then a voice from heaven came, and it's a voice of God himself. And he said, you're my son. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. I love what one writer said. He says, as Jesus came up, out of the water, the Spirit came down upon him. Isn't that cool? And Jesus came the Spirit came down. Now, I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say, and it's your call to surrender, specifically about baptism. Uh, did you realize that the Bible calls people to surrender and baptism, or explains what baptism is, or talks about why you ought to be baptized over 90 times? It's only told once in Scripture. You can say, well, it's not that important, I guess. But in Scripture, anything that's said one time is really important. But if the Holy Spirit is quite a This issue of surrendering baptism apparently must be very, very important. Let's just take your Bible. I'm going to leave Mark. I need to keep a, a, a bookmarker here. And I just want us to look at some Scripture today, all right? Just look at some Scripture that talks about the Bible's call to you and to me. Now, back up. It's one page probably, Matthew 28th chapter, because in the Lord's commission to his church, we see the call to baptism. He says uh, in chapter 28 of uh, the book of Matthew, verse 18, Jesus came to them, his apostles, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus is already on the cross, he's risen from the grave. Excuse me, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Watch what he says. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he said, if you'll do that, there's a promise, I will surely be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, go forward several books, the history book of the, uh, of the Bible, uh, of the early church, the book of Acts, uh, it's a history of the first all 20 or 30 years of the church. And I want you to go to day one of the church in uh, Acts chapter 2. There's a day of Pentecost, first time the gospel message had ever is preached by Peter. And I want you to notice what Peter has to say. He has a, a rather, actually, it's a rather short sermon. Uh, he quotes several different uh, passages of scripture. And he comes down to a point in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel of this, that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And Peter served, shut down. Man, it's got to be whatever preacher dreams of. People jumping up and starting dead center and having got his last point or the point and jumping up. What do we need to do? We're so convicted by what the Holy Spirit is saying. The people heard this and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Apostles, brothers, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to be saved? Peter replied, Repent and die. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, for the gifts of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And this promise is for you and for your children and for all of those who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God calls. Now we see baptism in the Lord's commission. We see it in Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost. But if you go to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, we read about baptism as, as uh, Philip, the deacon, is witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch. This African guy had come to Jerusalem uh, to worship. And as he's on his way back home, he's reading, according to verse 32 down to verse 33 of Acts chapter 8, he's reading a section of scripture in Isaiah about Jesus, about the Messiah. And he, in verse 34, uh, and we read that, that uh, Philip, through the Holy Spirit, was told, you go and you climb into that chariot, and I want you to witness uh, to the guy that's there. Verse 34. And the eunuch asked him, tell me please, who's the prophet in this passage talking about, himself or something else? And, P and Philip began that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were traveling along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Notice that. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, notice the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him, but went on his way rejoicing. The next chapter we read about Paul's conversion. And we read a statement concerning baptism in this statement. Now chapter 9 of the book of Acts, keep turning, keep reading along with me, verse 17 and 18. Ananias, he's the spokesman, Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, who would later be known as Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see. And he got up and he was baptized. One last passage of scripture in the history book of the church, the book of Acts. Go to chapter 16. This fascinating story. Paul and Silas are in prison, all right? They're in prison. And we read in chapter 16 of Acts, uh, you know, the conversion story of the, uh, of the Philippian jailer and his whole family. I want you to know what it says. Philippians chapter uh, 16, verse 29 and following. It says, The jailer called the lights, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. You can read the back story, the earlier story to this. It says, uh, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the starting point of anyone naming Jesus the Savior of their life. They have to believe who Jesus is. But the reality is, according to James, even the demons believe that. And James says, A belief that does not have action, does not have fruit, showing reality isn't really faith at all. And so he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Lord to him, all the others in the house. That very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his whole family baptized. Now, all of these passages of Scripture, and I could go on for many, 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 many,
begs the question, why does he start asking me back? I mean, it's kind of crazy. You take the Bible and dunk them down in water? What a weird thing to do. Why did Jesus do that? I mean, is it just some sort of spiritual ritual? Or is there a deeper spiritual meaning and connection for you and I? The Bible says that all will be baptized to wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, it says baptism and begin as the Holy Spirit changes us to change our old nature to his new nature. What a ridiculous, crazy, goofy thing to do. I think I was about 10 or 11 years old when I went to Christ's revival meeting, and uh, uh, man, I, I, during the invitation time, our preacher called us to say, anybody here that needs to baptize, step out and come in the front, and man, I held, I stood up, Anybody ever held, you remember pews? Y'all remember pews? We had church pews. Anybody ever church pews? You know, I want you to do something, but you're saying, if I can hold on tight enough, you know, uh, I just won't have to move. And something inside of me just said, you know, it's about surrender. And I, I, I didn't understand what baptism was all about. didn't make sense to me at all, but the Lord had asked me to do that, and I let go, and I came forward, and I was baptized in Christ tonight, uh, that, that, that night. I didn't understand why then. What a weird thing to ask anybody to do, to be dunked in water. It wasn't until years later, actually I was, uh, was long about my college years, it might have even been after college, that I came across a passage of Scripture, and I'd read it many, many times before, where the Apostle Paul describes the spiritual connection between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ours. You remember the passage? story? Jesus dies on the cross. His disciples take his body down and they uh, wrap him in cloths and what do they do with his body? Say, tell, what they, they bury it, right? They put it in a tomb. They seal the tomb. He was buried. But on Easter morning, what occurs? Resurrection. Jesus comes back to life and he bursts forth from the tomb, and he's alive to death. What does that have to do with our baptism? The Bible says everything. Take your Bible and go one more to the right if you're in Acts. Go to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, and this description is given in two different places. Here and also in the book of Colossians, I believe it is. I want you to notice what it says happens when a person is baptized into Christ. This is an amazing spiritual connection that takes place. It says in chapter 6, what shall we do then? Shall we go on sin to the great man priest? By no means we hide to sin. We live in any longer. Or don't you know that all of us, watch this, were baptized into Christ, baptized into his death on the cross, Jesus dies on the cross. He says, anyone baptized has been baptized into his death. He says, verse 4, we were there, therefore buried with him through baptism. Anyone watch the imagery here? It's powerful. Anyone that's ever been dipped into the water, dipped into the water baptized, he is 
is buried in the water, literally. You can't breathe underwater. You are dead. You are a goner. He says, verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. He too may rise to live a whole new life. That brings us, folks, to your choice. Jesus' surrender is solid. We, can, we cannot, we cannot uh, come away from that story without being amazed by his complete surrender. And the Bible's call is sure. Folks, baptism is not the only place of surrender, but it is a place of surrender. And Jesus began his ministry at that place of surrender, just saying, I'm going to surrender my ego, I'm going to surrender my position, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want you to understand that this morning you are standing at that intersection. And the reason I talk about this issue is because there are some people here today that need to be baptized. And he stepped across that line saying, I'm going to take that choice. But all of us, whether we've been baptized or not, we're all standing at that intersection. Two roads lead. One road leads to defiance, the other road leads to surrender. Now, I want you to understand that in your ear you are constantly hearing the first words we hear from Satan in the book of Genesis. Did God really say? And all through your life, you're hearing Satan whispering to you, God really say you have to surrender your life to follow Jesus? Did God really say you have to deny yourself to follow Jesus? And folks, I want you to understand that the answer to of those questions is an absolute yes. Yes. Folks, just like Jesus, our walk with him starts in surrendering our lives in baptism. Each and every day you have a choice. The choice to live the life less chosen. Let's pray together. Father God, as we pause this morning and give our thoughts to uh, Jesus and Gethsemane, Lord, as we come around the table, we remember Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was, Lord, if there's any way you could take this cup away from me. Of course, he was talking about the cup of the cross. Lord, if there's any way that you can save people without me having to die on a cross, Lord, please think of it now. Because as a man, Jesus, Lord, was saying to you, I can't stand the pain of being crucified. But even more, Jesus was saying, I can't stand the pain of being separated from you. But Father, as we gather together around the Lord's table today, cups are going to be passed and the bread's going to be passed and we can eat the cup, eat the bread and drink from the cup. The bread representing Jesus' body, the cup representing his, his blood. Father, 
will you help us to keep clearly in mind Jesus' response at the intersection, the crossroads, at the point of decision, the point of defiance or the point of surrender. When Jesus surrendered by saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. As we receive the Lord's Supper today, Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus made that choice. In his name we pray. Amen. Some men are going to come. The uh, bread and the juice.